Welcome to Daily Airs. You are listening to a recording provided for the use of the blind and print impaired. Materials or items read on Airs LA are the copyright property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. There's something new on Airs LA every day. I'm your host, Annette Bro, and every Monday, I review varying events that happen during This Week in History, brought to you from A&E Networks, The History Channel, and History.com. March 20. On this date in history, in the year 1854, the Republican Party is founded. In Ripon, Wisconsin, former members of the Whig Party meet to establish a new party to oppose the spread of slavery into the Western territories. The Whig Party, which was formed in 1834 to oppose the tyranny of President Andrew Jackson, had shown itself incapable of coping with the national crisis over slavery. With the successful introduction of the Kansas-Nebraska Bill of 1854, an act that dissolved the terms of the Missouri Compromise and allowed slave or free status to be decided in the territories by popular sovereignty, the Whigs disintegrated. By February 1854, anti-slavery Whigs had begun meeting in the upper Midwestern states to discuss the formation of a new party. One such meeting, in Wisconsin on March 20, 1854, is generally remembered as the founding meeting of the Republican Party. The Republicans rapidly gained supporters in the North, and in 1856, their first presidential candidate, John C. Fremont, won 11 of the 16 northern states. By 1860, the majority of the southern slave states were publicly threatening secession if the Republicans won the presidency. In November 1860, Republican Abraham Lincoln was elected president over a divided Democratic Party, and six weeks later, South Carolina formally seceded from the Union. Within six more weeks, five other Southern states had followed South Carolina's lead, and in April 1861, the Civil War began when Confederate shore batteries under General P.G.T. Beauregard opened fire on Fort Sumter in South Carolina's Charleston Harbor. The Civil War firmly identified the Republican Party as the party of the victorious North. And after the war, the Republican-dominated Congress forced a radical Reconstruction policy on the South, which saw the passage of the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments to the Constitution and the granting of equal rights to all Southern citizens. By 1876, The Republican Party had lost control of the South, but it continued to dominate the presidency until the election of Franklin D. Roosevelt in 1933. March 21. On this date in history, in the year 1963, Alcatraz closes its doors. Alcatraz Prison in San Francisco's Bay closes down and transfers its last prisoners. The Rock, or America's Devil Island, housed over 200 inmates at the maximum security facility. Alcatraz remains an icon of American prisons for its harsh conditions and record for being inescapable. The 12-acre rocky island, 
one and a half miles from San Francisco, featured the most advanced security of the time. Some of the first metal detectors were used at Alcatraz. Strict rules were enforced against the unfortunate inmates who had to do time at Alcatraz. Nearly complete silence was mandated at all times. Alcatraz was first explored by Juan Manuel de Ayala in 1775. De Ayala, who called it Isle de los Alcatraces, pelicans, because of all the birds that lived there. It was sold in 1849 to the U.S. government. The first lighthouse in California was on Alcatraz. It became a Civil War fort and then a military prison in 1907. The end of its prison days did not end the Alcatraz saga. In March 1964, a group of Sioux claimed that the island belonged to them due to a 100-year-old treaty. Their claims were ignored until November 1969, when a group of 89 Native Americans representing the American Indian Movement, AIM, occupied the island. They stayed there until 1971, when AIM was finally forced off the island by federal authorities. The following year, Alcatraz was added to the Golden Gate National Recreation Area, which is now open for tourism. March 22. On this date in history, in the year 1972, the Equal Rights Amendment is passed by Congress. On March 22, 1972, the Equal Rights Amendment is passed by the U.S. Senate and sent to the states for ratification. First proposed by the National Women's Political Party in 1923, the Equal Rights Amendment was to provide for the legal equality of the sexes and prohibit discrimination on the basis of sex. More than four decades later, the revival of feminism in the late 1960s spurred its introduction into Congress. Under the leadership of the U.S. Representative Bella Abzug of New York and feminists Betty Friedan and Gloria Steinem, it won the requisite two-thirds vote from the U.S. House of Representatives in October 1971. In March 1972, it was approved by the United States Senate and sent to the states. Hawaii was the first state to ratify what would have been the 27th Amendment, followed by some 30 other states within a year. However, during the mid-1970s, a conservative backlash against feminism eroded support for the Equal Rights Amendment, which ultimately failed to achieve ratification by then a requisite 38, or three-fourths of the states, by the deadline set by Congress. Because of the rejection of the Equal Rights Amendment, gender equality, with the notable exception of when it pertains to the right to vote, is not protected by the U.S. Constitution. However, in the late 20th century, the federal government and all states have passed considerable legislation protecting the legal rights of women. The Equal Rights Amendment, in its most recently proposed form, reads, Equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or any state on account of sex. March 23rd, on this date in history, in the year 1998, James Cameron's Titanic wins 11 Academy Awards. By the time James Cameron took the stage to accept his Academy Award for Best Director on the night of March 23, 1998, the Oscar dominance of his blockbuster film Titanic was all but assured. Titanic tied the record for most Oscar nominations with 14, 
joining 1950's All About Eve, and by night's end would tie with Ben Hur in 1959 for most wins by sweeping 11 categories, including the coveted Best Picture. With Aliens, The Abyss, and the first two Terminator movies under his belt, Cameron had already proved himself a master of the action-packed science fiction blockbuster genre. His ambition reached new heights with Titanic, a retelling of the ill-fated 1912 voyage of the unparalleled passenger steamship, which sank in the North Atlantic after striking an iceberg. Cameron's films were notorious for going long over schedule and way over budget, and Titanic was worse than most. Originally budgeted at $100 million, the film eventually topped out at about $200 million, more than any other film in history. It also missed its original release date, making the studio executives sweat as they envisioned another Heaven's Gate, the infamous big-budget flop that sank United Artists in the early 1980s. Personally, Cameron was known for his dictatorial style, hot temper, and obsession with detail. For his reenactment of the historic ship sinking, the film's crew constructed a 775-foot, 90% scale replica of the RMS Titanic and put it in a tank containing 17 million gallons of water. Production was done in Mexico, and members of the cast and crew later complained about the harsh conditions, including shooting days of more than 20 hours, much of that time spent standing in the cold, murky Pacific Ocean water. Released just before Christmas in 1997, Titanic became a monster hit and continued to earn steadily at the box office over the next six months until it became the first movie ever to gross more than $1 billion internationally. Critical response to the film was divided. Many reviews were positive, but some critics praised the visual effects and action sequences, especially the last hour of the three-hour-plus movie, which depicts the epic sinking of the luxury liner, even while pointing out the weaknesses of the screenplay, which Cameron penned himself. In one particularly memorable pan, Kenneth Turin of the Los Angeles Times wrote that the film reeks of phoniness and lacks even minimal originality. Cameron famously fired back in a letter to the editor, demanding, unsuccessfully, that the Times impeach Kenneth Turin. On Oscar night, Cameron echoed Leonardo DiCaprio's character in Titanic by shouting, I'm the king of the world, upon accepting his best director statuette. While accepting Best Picture as the film's producer, the filmmaker was slightly more subdued, asking for a moment of silence in remembrance of more than 1,500 people who drowned on the Titanic. March 24. On this date in history, in the year 1989, the Exxon Valdez crashes, causing one of the worst oil spills in history. One of the worst oil spills in U.S. history begins when the supertanker Exxon Valdez, owned and operated by the Exxon Corporation, runs aground on a reef in Prince William Sound in southern Alaska. An estimated 11 million gallons of oil eventually spilled into the water Attempts to contain the massive spill were unsuccessful, and wind and currents spread the oil more than 100 miles from its source 
eventually polluting more than 700 miles of coastline. Hundreds of thousands of birds and animals were adversely affected by the environmental disaster. It was later revealed that Joseph Hazelwood, the captain of the Valdez, was drinking at the time of the accident and allowed an uncertified officer to steer the massive vessel. In March 1990, Hazelwood was convicted of misdemeanor negligence, fined $50,000, and ordered to perform 1,000 hours of community service. In July 1992, an Alaska court overturned Hazelwood's conviction, citing a federal statute that grants freedom from prosecution to those who report an oil spill. Exxon itself was condemned by the National Transportation Safety Board and, in early 1991, agreed under pressure from environmental groups to pay a penalty of $100 million and provide $1 billion over a 10-year period for the cost of the cleanup. However, later in the year, both Alaska and Exxon rejected the agreement, and in October 1991, the oil giant settled the matter by paying $25 million, less than 4% of the cleanup aid promised by Exxon earlier that year. March 25. On this date in history, in the year 2001, Icelandic pop singer Bjork makes a splash at the Oscars. To some, Oscar night is more about the fashion than the awards themselves. Much of the audience tunes in to see who looks fabulous and who takes the biggest risks. Of the latter, the infamous swan dress worn by the Icelandic pop singer Bjork at the 73rd Annual Academy Awards on March 25, 2001, is among the most notorious. Born and raised in Reykjavik, Bjork won a radio contest at age 11 and received a contract to record her first album, released in 1977. She first gained international notice as a member of the successful guitar rock band, The Sugar Cubes, then launched a solo career in the early 1990s. After three acclaimed albums, Debut in 1993, Post in 1995, and Homogenic in 1997, Bjork's fame had reached cultish proportions by the end of the decade. She was working with the Danish film director Lars von Trier, best known for the 1966 Breaking the Waves, on the score for his next movie, Dancer in the Dark, when von Trier asked her to play the lead character, Selma. A Czechoslovakian immigrant who works in a factory in Washington state during the 1960s, Selma suffers from a hereditary disorder that is gradually making her go blind. She escapes her daily reality by performing in community theater productions and watching movie musicals with her friend Kathy, Catherine Deneuve, who describes to her what is happening on the screen. Bjork earned critical praise for her portrayal of Selma, writing in the New York Times, A.O. Scott called her performance miraculous, as well as the polarizing film-only Oscar nomination in the Best Original Song category. On Oscar night, the Icelandic singer turned heads by showing up on the red carpet in an outfit resembling a dead swan. Over a nude body stocking and above a large white tutu-like skirt, the swan's neck was draped around Bjork's shoulders like a shawl, with its head lying on her chest. Bjork took the stage to perform her nominated song, 
I've Seen It All, which lost in its category to Bob Dylan's Things Have Changed from Wonder Boys. March 26. On this date in history, in the year 1804, President Jefferson is presented with a mammoth loaf of bread. President Thomas Jefferson attends a public party at the Senate and leads a diverse crowd in consuming an enormous loaf of bread dubbed the Mammoth Loaf. The giant bread was baked to go with the remnants of an enormous block of cheese. Two years earlier, a group of Baptist women from Massachusetts had sent Jefferson a 1,200-pound hunk of cheese in gratitude for his support of religious tolerance. The cheese, they said, illustrated Jefferson's claim that North America's superior natural resources would one day enable the United States to outstrip all of Europe in agricultural production. Early Americans' use of the descriptive term mammoth arose from the discovery of a giant woolly mammoth skeleton in New York in 1801. Jefferson, fascinated with the natural sciences, was a member of the American Philosophical Society and helped the organization raise funds to complete the archaeological project. Jefferson's Federalist opponents ridiculed the president's scientific side projects as frivolous. In an attempt to embarrass the president, they dubbed the giant dairy product the mammoth cheese. To the Federalists' surprise and disappointment, the general populace embraced the term with nationalistic zeal. Almost immediately, butcher shops and markets advertised mammoth-sized products from sides of veal to pumpkins and loaves of bread. The unveiling of the mammoth loaf occurred at a Senate-sponsored March 26 party to rally support for a naval war against the Barbary states. At noon, a Navy baker wheeled in the mammoth loaf, along with the remnants of the Baptist woman's mammoth cheese, an equally enormous side of roast beef and copious amounts of alcohol. President Jefferson stepped up, pulled out his pocket knife, and cut the first slice of bread. According to written observations, the party quickly degenerated into a noisy, drunken affair. And that wraps up our This Week in History podcast for March 20 through March 26. If you'd like to learn more about Airs LA, including streaming audio, podcasts, and more, we invite you to connect or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook social media platforms. This podcast is for the sole use of our blind and print-impaired audience. Any unauthorized use is prohibited. I'm Annette Rowe, and I'll return next week to bring you more events that happen during Next Week in History. Until then, thanks for listening.